we've been talking about coming to the table, right? Coming to the table. And what we mean by come to the table is we mean that, that when you come into a home, into a restaurant, into a coffee house, and you share a, a meal with somebody, a cup of coffee with somebody, there's something intimate that happens and something very powerful that happens. And, and I believe America would do very well if we would come back to an understanding of the importance of the table. I would argue that the most important piece of furniture in your house is your table. It is not your bed. It is not your couch. It is not your 55-inch 4K flat-screen TV. It is the table. The table is by far the most important piece of furniture in your home. And we started this series by talking about the table, the family table, number one. We said, let's reestablish the family table, eating together as a family and how important that is. And if you're not currently doing that, I want to encourage you to establish that at least four to five times a week that you would try to eat together as a family, as a family. And then last, uh, the next message we shared was about the community table, about coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what they did in the Bible. In Acts chapter two, the Bible says they met every day in the temple and from house to house, they ate together. They shared a meal together. So they did that. So I believe there's something about us coming together as Christians. When we have our community groups, when we get together for fellowship, that we come and we share life together and we gather around a table. And then last week I talked about the mission table. The mission table is where you invite somebody that is very different than you and believes different than you, that may not believe the exact same way that you believe. And you invite them into either your home or to a restaurant or to have a cup of coffee and you just begin to just share life with them and talk to them about the goodness of God, what God has done for you. I shared a quote last week from a guy named Herod Bosley, and he said this, if you're not a missionary, you need one. And that's a powerful, powerful statement. In other words, what he's saying is, is if you don't have a heart for the lost, if, if, if there's something that's, that's inside of you that, that doesn't want to reach out to your neighbors, coworkers, and lost family members, then you need to check yourself. You need to check your heart because you need a, a touch from God. He said, if you're not a missionary, then you need a missionary. And this morning, I want to share to you the final message in this series, and we're going to talk about the Lord's Table. We're going to talk about the importance of communion and what happens to us when we come together, whether it's corporately, like we're going to do this morning and have communion together as a church family, whether you do it individually or in your own home as a family, the importance of, of the Lord's table and what communion actually means. If you're in 2 Samuel chapter number 9, the entire chapter takes up the story of one man's life. And so if you would allow me this morning, we're going to read the entire chapter. There's only 13 verses. You can follow along. Let's start in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse number 1. It says, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And so when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, 
Is there not still someone at the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness, the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. And then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall, watch this, you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons, and twenty servants. And then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. And as for Mephibosheth, said the king, He shall eat at what? My table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. If you're here today and uh, you are a parent or you're a young lady, or we had several ladies in the first service who were actually pregnant, I just want to encourage you. If you haven't yet picked a name for your child... Um, <laughs> If, you, if you're not set on Brian, which I think is a fantastic name, and I'm still holding out hope, I would argue that a great name is Mephibosheth. I mean, that is, you could call him Fib, you could call him Fibby, you could, you could put that on Instagram, you could put that on Facebook. I mean, that, would, that post would go viral, you understand? So I want to encourage you that that is an option for you. Here is a story of one man in the Bible. Now, his story actually starts in 2 Samuel chapter 4, or 1 Samuel chapter 4, actually 2 Samuel chapter 4, I'm sorry. And it starts with the death of King Saul when, when King Saul was killed and his death was announced. The nurse of Mephibosheth actually picked him up and began to run in fear and while she was carrying him, now he's about five years old, so he's not a little guy, but while she's carrying him, she trips and she falls and the boy lands and breaks both of his ankles and his ankles never heal. So the Bible says he's lame in both his feet through no fault of his own. And 
Jonathan eventually passes away as well. And David is sitting on his throne one day. And I believe at first he says to himself, he first says to himself, is there anyone left over from Saul's house? Is there any of Jonathan's family that I could show kindness to? Now, why would David sitting on his throne with all that he has, all that is available to him, all the responsibilities that he carries, why would he at this moment make a choice to say, hey, you know what? I want to extend to someone kindness. There's one reason why David did this. And the reason can be found in the word covenant. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, the Bible actually says that David and Jonathan made a covenant. And that covenant did not die when Jonathan died. The covenant still carried on through different generations. David wanted to keep it going. Why? Because a covenant is not just a promise that is based on a set of circumstances that is favorable. A promise is a, a covenant is a promise that is made that lasts throughout eternity. It is something that is a bond that is sealed. And David said, this covenant shall still be established. And so he said, is there anyone, anyone that I could show kindness to? And he finds a servant that used to serve in Saul's house and said, is there anyone? And this servant said, there's one man. There is still yet a descendant of Jonathan. Jonathan has one son. And David said, would you call him? Have him come. And the Bible says that this man, Mephibosheth, is living. He's living with another family. And he's living in a place, watch this, called Lo-Debar. Now, the name Mephibosheth actually means covered in shame. And the name Lodabar means a deserted place. So David takes this man, right? He takes him, this man whose name means covered with shame. He takes him from a deserted place and he brings them into the king's palace. And he says, I will show you kindness today. Not because you've earned it. Not because you deserve it, but because a covenant has been established. A covenant has been established. When we talk about coming to the Lord's table, when we talk about receiving communion today, it's not just a ritual that we go through. It's not just something that we say, oh, well, then on the fourth song or immediately after service, we're going we're gonna to take communion because that's what we do on, on a certain Sunday of the month. When we come to the Lord's table, there is something very sacred. There is something very holy. There is something that God wants you to understand. It is not about you just coming to a table and just receiving elements and you taking a wafer and you taking juice there's something so much bigger than you just coming and saying this is I guess what we do because we're a church because we're Christians it is about you understanding the covenant that God wants to reestablish with you today in your life that you would come just like Mephibosheth saying listen I've got nothing to offer because Mephibosheth didn't he comes to the king's palace with nothing He has nothing to offer. He is empty-handed. He is poor. He has nothing to bring to the table. Yet he's still invited. Why? Because of the covenant that David established with Jonathan. There was another king who many years later would sit with 12 men. And these 12 men, like Mephibosheth, they had nothing to offer. 
And here is Jesus in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is sitting with his disciples. And he is sitting at a table. And he says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 26, he sits there and he sits with these guys who, guess what? They're not bringing a whole lot to the table either. And he says, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them. He said, drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus said, I'm going to reestablish a covenant with you. There's an old covenant, but that old covenant has passed away. This is a new covenant. And much like the understanding of the story between David and Mephibosheth, you have to understand that when we come to the Lord's table, we don't come with all of our trophies. We don't come with all the things that we've done right. We don't come with with everything, all the years in church, all the times that we've tithed, all the times that we've evangelized. We don't bring any of that to the table. When we come to the Lord's table, we come with an understanding that I come empty-handed. It is only by the grace of God that I come. And I have been invited by a king to sit here. I have a right to sit here, not because I've earned it. I have a right to sit here because there's been an invitation extended. Someone has wanted to show me kindness. Not for my sake, but because I'm an heir to a covenant. Hallelujah. Here's what happens when you come to the Lord's table. First of all, there's freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. And really what happens in this particular part and understanding is we we begin to, to correct some false misconceptions about God. This is where these false misconceptions about God, they're broken and we really begin to understand the truth of God's love. Because if you look at Mephibosheth's story, you have to understand is that he's off in this dry place. He's living with somebody else. He has had his ankles broken. They never healed right. So he is lame. He is crippled. He is poor. He is wretched. He's had to be cared for by others. And he's in that condition. And perhaps all of his life, he's told there is one person to blame. And that person is David. After all, David took your grandfather's throne. That should have been your dad's. You should be on the throne, Mephibosheth. You should be the one who has the wealth. You should be the one who has the power. And it was because of of Saul's death that you're crippled. And so that was David's fault too. In fact, maybe he was told all his life, every problem that he had can be attributed back to David. And I know many people who live with those misconceptions about God. Well, God could have done this, but he didn't. And God, you know, allowed this to happen. And God never fixed this. And God never brought this back. And they think my family fell apart because God didn't do this. And, and, and every situation in their life that's contrary, they can attribute back to, to God. They have this false misconception that God is the author of their storms. Right? And when we come to the Lord's table, there has to be a correction. There has to be some misconceptions about who God is, what God has done, what God is offering. Those misconceptions have to be corrected in our life. We have to understand that we don't come to him in fear. The first thing that David said to Mephibosheth is fear not. 
I'm not the man that you were told about. Huh? No, no, no. I'm not the person they described. Right? Eric Metakis, who, who was giving a speech at, at, at a presidential prayer breakfast, said this. He said, everything I rejected about God was not God. And he went on to say, you know what it was? Religion. Everything I was told about God, everything I rejected about God, all the harshness, all, all, all the, the untruths about God's anger, God's wrath, it really wasn't God. That was religion. About me trying to earn my way and having to, to base my salvation on a works, all of that was not God. He said, everything that I rejected about God wasn't God. When I found out who God really is, I embraced him wholeheartedly. And listen, we have got to put on display and first understand in our heart that there is a God who is all loving. He is all caring. He is always there for us. His arms are always outstretched. He did not put sickness on us. He did not take from us. He didn't pull our family apart. In fact, God is the God who wants to bring everything back and bring restoration in to our lives. Somebody say amen. Amen. So it's a misconception. And the second thing is this. When we come to the Lord's table, it is restoration. And we sang about it today. You are the God who restores. And this is where we have an understanding that everything that was stolen from us has already been given back to us at the cross. So do you need joy today? Do you need healing today? Do you need peace in your home, in your heart, in your mind, when you sleep? Do you need it today? Listen, when we come to the Lord's table, it is a time of remembrance. And we come with an understanding that this is what Jesus did. Everything the enemy stole at the garden throughout my life, everything that he stole, God gave us back at the cross. Hallelujah. So if you need joy, if you need peace, if you need forgiveness for sins, guess what? It has already been provided to you. Hallelujah. And then the third thing is this. When you come to the Lord's table, you understand it's a place of grace. You come, watch this, invited. You don't have to barge your way in. You don't have to sneak your way in. You don't have to go, I hope nobody notices (laughs) in here. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I can't come to church. The, the roof will cave in the minute I walk in. I tell them, we reinforced it just for you. We knew you were coming. <laughs> now, the truth is this. When we come to the Lord's table, it is a place of grace. Mephibosheth received several things. He received freedom from fear. Right? He received a a, a new understanding of who David was. David wasn't the monster that his family and friends maybe made him out to be. David was actually loving, caring. And David was the one who restored to Mephibosheth what had been taken from him. Saul's land, the Bible says that he said, all of the land that your grandfathers, guess what? Here's what's going to happen. First of all, it's going to be given back to you. Secondly, you won't have to work it. Somebody else will work and you will be cared for. And when you're not eating in your house, cared for by others, guess what? You come sit at my table. 
You come sit at my table. And you understand that it's not this performance based. Because here's what happens when you understand you come to the Lord's table. It's not based on performance. I'm not coming. I'm not going to receive communion today through the wafer and through the juice. Because I have, I deserve this. I've been great. I've been good. I had a good week. Hallelujah. Come on. You know, we got good weeks and then we have not so good weeks, right? I yelled at my wife this week. Which I I don't know if I did or not. I'm trying to think. But maybe I did. Maybe I did. We come because grace has extended the invitation to us. Grace has extended the invitation. I'm going to ask Pastor Mark to come up. and In just a moment, we're going to receive communion together. Watch this. Watch this. This is so important. I want you to know this. I want you to know this. The Bible actually ends this chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 9, with these words. The very last sentence It was these words, and he was lame in both his feet. Isn't that an odd way to end a chapter? You have this incredible story of grace. You have this incredible story of restoration. You have a story of a king who is showing kindness to a man he did not have to show kindness to. David didn't have to do it. And this incredible story goes... 12, 13 verses, and at the end of the 13th verse, it says this, and he was lame in both of his feet. The writer of 2 Samuel chapter 9, who is called the Holy Spirit, just wants to give us a reminder of an imperfect man with an imperfect walk sitting at a table where while he's sitting at this table, he cannot see his imperfections. Mephibosheth's seat, his feet would be placed underneath this table. He would be receiving what he did not earn. He would be partaking of what he doesn't deserve, right? And the imperfections of his life The fact that he was lame in both of his feet would be hidden underneath the table. He wouldn't even be able to see them. I know there are many Christians that struggle. This week, maybe you did something, said some things. Maybe your life is not perfect. I want to tell you that you're looking this morning at an imperfect man that has an imperfect walk, right? But like you, I'm invited to sit at a table. Not because I've earned it to deserve it. Not because there's a title next to my name at all. Because grace has given us the invitation. If you're here today and you're still struggling with forgiveness, you're still struggling with shame, you're still struggling with regret, maybe you're here today and you say, well, Pastor, I've had this misconception about God. I thought God was going to come through and he didn't come through and I don't know what to believe and I don't know how to act and and I don't know if I can even pray to him anymore. Can I just get you to change that misconception that maybe God isn't the one who took, God isn't the one who withheld. Maybe today you come to a table and understand that God is a God of kindness. He is a God of love. He is a God of grace. Does that mean that we can just come and live any way that we want and act any way we want? No, listen, the Bible says that God resists the proud. But watch this. But he does what? He gives grace to the humble. 
Mephibosheth came before David, he laid prostrate, he humbled himself, and David said, hey, you get up. Today is your day. 